0: Our God, our King, the Ancient of Days, the Prince of Peace, our strength, the Lord of the hosts of heaven, the man of war that has never tasted the faith, the Almighty God, we worship you and we thank you for bringing us here this evening. Father, it's not because we can pray, it's not because we know how to do it, it's because of your immeasurable grace, because of your mercy, O oh Lord. Father, yeah. as so we've gathered tonight, Father, to pray, to intercede, to hear from you. We ask that you have your way. Cleanse us, Jehovah God, of anything that makes us a sore sight before you, O Lord. Mm -hmm. Let the blood of us wash through us, O Lord, and make us white and for you. Jehovah God, we ask, O oh Lord, that you speak to us, minister to each and every one of us. And Father, by the time we live here, we will leave a hang up, O oh Lord, Father, with more than we had when we called in, O oh Lord. Eternal King of glory, that you will bless us, O oh Lord. Father, our spirits will be nurtured, will be nourished, will be enriched, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so for Uh, those of us who haven't heard me before or met me, my name is Chizoba. I am in Baltimore, Maryland, and it is an honor. It truly is an honor to um, address us this evening. And I give God the glory for this ministry and for pastors uh, Alex and his wonderful wife. And I, I truly thank them for giving me the opportunity to share a few words with us this evening.
1: Uh,
0: The text I'm working with is Matthew 5, verse 4. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. And it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And as I prayed about what to share with us this evening, uh, I, I was led with few things, so I want us to keep three things, three key points in mind, and we'll walk down three of them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Number one, sometimes we we it's The Bible tells us there is a time to mourn, there is a time to weep. This is in Ecclesiastes three four. There is always going to be a time to mourn. But number one, there are times when we mourn not because it's part of God's will, not because it has anything to do with God's will, or because of our own willfulness. That is number one. Number two, sometimes when we mourn, it is in connection with the will of God. We are headed in the right direction, but there is something on that road that causes us to sorrow, that causes us to mourn. Number three, regardless of how we get to a place of mournfulness, a place of sorrow, a place of grief and frustration, There is always going to be comfort at the end of that road. Because we serve a God who is merciful. There will always be comfort at the end of that road. And number four, even in our comfort, there is a purpose. God doesn't just send us comfort just to end sorrow. Even in our comfort, there is a purpose. So let's keep those four things in mind. And so I started by saying sometimes when we mourn, it is outside of God's will. Sometimes we mourn and we sorrow because we've taken decisions into our own hands. God has made a plan and we've decided either he's not moving fast enough or he's not moving in the way we want him to. And we resort to self-help and it brings us to a place of sorrow and a place where we are mourning. Uh, I have two examples. One of them is Abraham. We know his story very well. In Genesis uh, Genesis 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, he a And in Genesis 16, because of self-help, Ishmael, Abraham's first son, is created. In uh, Genesis 17, 13 years later, God renews his covenant with Abraham and he tells him, your child from your wife, your child from Sarah is what I'm going to use to fulfill that covenant. And oftentimes we don't realize, we remember the chapter and the verse where Sarah laughed. But before she laughed, Abraham laughed first. And he asked God, you know what, just bless Ishmael. At this point, Sarah had chased Hagar out of the house for the first time. You know, Hagar got into a place where she thought she was now greater than her mistress. After all, she was carrying a child for Abraham. And uh, those of us women on the land, we know Sarah didn't wake up one day and tell Hagar to start going. It must have built up and built up. The frustration in the house must have been so much until one day Sarah told Abraham, okay, it's me or this lady. And Abraham said, she's your handmaid, do what you want with her. And she kicked her out okay. of the house. And when God comes to Abraham in Genesis 17, he laughs. He laughed because it seemed so incredulous to him. He barely managed to have Ishmael. Is Sarah going to be able to be a son? Remember in Genesis 15, before all this, Abraham lamented. He was in a place of mourning and sorrow. And he told God, You haven't even given me a child, you haven't blessed me with a head, somebody who isn't for me probably going to inherit all of this so when he got Ishmael probably okay this is it but Ishmael wasn't part of God's plan Isaac was born thankfully Isaac was born but his house was still not at peace because even after Isaac was born remember what happened Sarah kicked Hagar and Ishmael out again And in Genesis 21, 11, we we, we are told it was very grievous to Abraham. Whether we remember it or not, Ishmael was Abraham's first son, a child he probably didn't think he would ever have. And imagine how how he felt. He had to be in a place of serious sorrow, watching the chaos in his house. On the one hand, he had his first son. On the other hand, the child of covenant. And he watched as his first son was kicked out of his house. And thankfully, at the end of that road, at the end of that road, what happened? Because in, in because they resorted to self-help. Look at who everybody that got affected by that situation. Ishmael, sometimes we forget to think about Ishmael. What did Ishmael do? He got to a place where... He was in the desert crying for water, and his mother was she didn't want to hear the cries of her child and decided to just leave him there and start going. When I first read that place, I must have been twelve or thirteen. The first time I read that, I was so annoyed with her. I said, How can you leave your son there? Because he's crying, he's he's thirsty, you don't have where to, to give him water, you can't be able to hear him cry. So you leave him there and start walking away. But Ishmael got affected because Abraham and Sarah resorted to self-help. Hagar was affected twice. She had to be kicked out of the home to watch her child in sorrow because Abraham and Sarah resorted to self-help. Abraham Abraham was in a grievous situation watching his own first son being thrown out of his house because they resorted to self-help. Sometimes when we go ahead of God or we think we know more than God, it doesn't only affect us. It doesn't only, it's not, we are not the only ones that are brought to a place of sorrow. The effects can be far and wild. It can affect those around us. But thank God for his mercy because after all was said and done, not only was the child of covenant born to Abraham and Sarah, Ishmael also received blessings from God. At the end, it was all resolved. At the end, there was comfort for all. But that is because of God's mercy. But the journey to get to that place of comfort was probably prolonged and wasn't an easy one because they resorted to self-help because of willfulness. Another example is Reuben, Jacob's first son, who out of lust slept with his, essentially his stepmother. This was Rachel's handmaid, the mother of his brothers, Dan and Naphtali. And because of his decisions and actions in Genesis 49, 3 to 4, his father essentially denied him his destiny. If that is not a place of frustration and sorrow, I don't know what else is. Reuben was called a, a, a child with excellent spirit. He was Jacob's first son, the beginning of his father's strength, He was created with an excellent spirit. He was called, in fact, the personification of excellency. He was called to be excellent in power. He was called to be excellent in dignity. And yet, because of his actions, essentially, his father cut off his destiny. There is, despite he was created to be excellent, he was created to be the personification of excellency. And yet, no matter how he toiled and how he struggled, as soon as his father pronounced that course, that was it. He would never get to a place where he's excellent. How frustrating, how sorrowful is that? It's like God saying, I created the sun to give light, but no matter what chemical process goes on with the sun, it cannot produce light. If God says, I've called you to walk on two feet. I mean, imagine yourself right now. God has blessed you with two feet. And because of whatever reason, you have your two feet too, but no matter how much you struggle, you can't move. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is you no matter how much you struggle, how you think it, imagine that your feet is cemented to the ground. You cannot move. That is exactly what happened to Ruben. Because his father pronounced a curse on him. We often forget how powerful the words of parents, and I don't just mean biological parents, I mean spiritual parents as well. You know, like when we say daddy in the Lord and my mother in the Lord, words carry power, especially from those who are parents who are in authority over us. Reuben's destiny was caught short. That is a place of deep and intense sorrow. And what led there, besides his actions, his father's words. Which is why parents are often admonished, be careful what you say to your children in anger. Jacob could have said any other thing, could have pronounced any other punishment, but he cut off his destiny, his purpose. He denied him his purpose. And it wasn't just Reuben who got affected. Generations that came, his descendants, the whole tribe of Reuben. Until a certain point, no matter what they did, despite the fact they came from the first son of Israel, no matter what they did, they could not excel. And yet they were created to be excellent. That is a place of sorrow. Sometimes by our own actions, we don't know who we've offended. What has sometimes, words spoken against us brings us to a place of sorrow brings us to a place where we're mourning brings us to a place of frustration no matter how much we struggle we just cannot get out of it but once again remember i, I said at the beginning that no matter how mo- how you get to a place of sorrow there is always comfort at the end because god Amen. used moses god used moses to break the stronghold of those words on the tribe of Reuben, the God when when Moses pronounced his blessings, that he unlocked their destiny, unlocked their purpose once more. Which is why, when it comes to the word of the Lord, if if you meet a a man of God that has anointing, a man that God speaks through, or a woman of God that prophesies, sometimes we often think that the prophetic is all about. Oh, this is um, what your problem is. This is what the solution is. This is what will happen in five days. The declarations from the mouth of a prophet is very powerful. It can steal your destiny and it can unlock your purpose. Whatever has been tied can be unlocked by a few words. The prophetic is more than just seeing the future or seeing the past or seeing who your enemy is or giving you step-by-step directions on what you, on what to do. Sometimes we forget pronouncements from a man of God or a woman of God unto, under the anointing of the Mosai is very powerful. And that, that was Moses, the role of Moses with the um, tribe of Reuben. He declared, he declared, he made a declaration. This is in Deuteronomy 33, 6. He lifts that course over Reuben and his purpose and his destiny is unlocked and is free. God used Moses to bring, despite the actions of their forefathers, to bring Reuben, the tribe of Reuben, from a place of sorrow into a place of comfort, from a place of struggle into a place of fulfillment. So sometimes when we're in a place of sorrow, sometimes it's our actions, words spoken against us. Sometimes it is because of something we haven't done. Our ancestors, our forefathers did something or the other to somebody and whoever. And that is why sometimes we're in a place of struggle and we're in a place of mournfulness, but we thank God for mercy. We thank God for his grace. We thank God that no matter how we get there, he always has an avenue that provides comfort for us. He always gets us to a place where our sorrow is turned into comfort, where our weeping is turned into joy. Now, sometimes we, when we mourn, it has to do, it is connected to God's will. We need to get to a place where we sorrow and where we mourn. Sometimes we need to mourn in repentance. There is something called godly grief. I take us to 2 Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses... Uh, 9 to 10, where uh, it says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. There is something called godly sorrow. Sometimes we need to get to a place of uh, the word I'm looking for is brokenness. A place where our willfulness is stripped away from us. That is God's will. That our nature is removed and we are clothed with God's nature. But that is not an easy process. Because we are, our basic nature, our base nature is that of sin. We are born in sin. It is our basic template when we come into the world. And to get to a place where we are allowing God to lead requires a total stripping of everything that we are and replacing that with everything that is God. It's like a grape. If you see where that um, um trying to get juice out of a grape, if you've seen a grape before and what is left after, if I bring it and show you and tell you that is a grape, if you didn't know that is what it looks like when they press juice out of it, it looks nothing like a grape. It is in shreds. It is in pieces. An intense amount of pressure is placed on those grapes. It is crushed. It is broken. And what is inside comes out. Another example is uh, we hear about the olives. An olive needs to go under intense pressure to get the olive oil out of it. And I bet if olives could talk, I mean, you're placing tons of machine on top of it. There isn't any human being I know who will survive. It's like like if somebody drops a car on top of you and tell you that's what we need to get the good stuff out. It's it's not an easy process. Sometimes it's a place of grief. Sometimes you are mourning and sometimes it is a place of sorrow. It is not easy to strip out who you are and be replaced with the will of God. And so that is godly grief or godly sorrow. And sometimes it is necessary that we get to that point it is uh, sometimes also necessary that we get to sometimes god leaves us in a place of sorrow in a place of mourning because there is something we need to learn there something my grandmother taught my mom and something she has always taught us is if you're in a in a bad place if you're in a place that causes you grief or frustration the worst thing that can happen to you is not what is keeping you in sorrow. It's if you finish that process and you learn nothing. Um. Sometimes God leaves us in a place of sorrow so that there is something we need to glean glean out of it. Whenever you're in a tough spot or in a bad situation, as painful as it is, the most important thing is, what am I getting out of this? What is the lesson here? What am I supposed to be learning, learning from this? I, it's like somebody who I, I've had on uh, um, a client who he made two million dollars one year, and by the end of the year, the man was in debt, like nine thousand dollars in debt or something. And I was looking at his records. I said, "How can two million flow like water out of your hands just just like that?" The man was in debt. He could not pay his rent. And I remember I talked to him, I said, the most important thing you've learned now, how not to spend money so unwisely. Two years later, he made almost a million dollars. And at the end of that year, he lost the money again. And I said, this is a man who hasn't learned anything. And as children of God, no matter how we get to a place of sorrow, the most important thing, sometimes God leaves us there because we need to learn something. I'm going to um, use Elijah as an example in First Kings 19. Immediately after Elijah has walked great deeds, with, you know, called down fire from heaven, through him God has displayed His might, and He has. Um, that was also after, after a long famine and drought in the land, He prophesied about rain. That was the place where he ran ahead of um, Ahab, I believe it was. All of a sudden, Jezebel says she's, she's out for Elijah. Remember, this is the man who has called on fire from heaven. Elijah heard Jezebel was looking for him. He pulled his shoe and said, raising dust. He ran away. <laughs> we went to go and hide somewhere. Imagine how frustrated and sorrowful Elijah was that he said to his creator, the God he knows that can rain fire from heaven. I'm tired. Just take my life. What, what, I I keep trying to figure out the kind of emotion, the kind of grief about a situation that allows someone, especially someone so powerful to say to God, take my life. You know what? I've, 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 I've done my best. At that point, Elijah is thinking to himself, I'm the only one in the land who is doing God's will. God, as, as close as his relationship to God was, the first question I asked myself was, why didn't God say, hey, Elijah, what are you saying? God left him for 40 days and 40 nights in a place where he was skulking around in a cave. A man who by his words, because he said so, rain didn't fall on the land for seven years, because he pronounced it, Fire fell from heaven and um, prophets of Baal were destroyed. A man God has used like that. God left him alone in a cave for 40 days and 40 nights. And I realized sometimes we need to get to a place where maybe based on the our relationship with God, we felt the presence of God mightily. Sometimes we forget to start listening because Elijah needed to get to a place where he was listening. How do we know that? In, his, in the cave, it says, God came as an earthquake, but he wasn't there. And then there was a mighty wind, but he wasn't there. And then he passed by, there was mighty fire, but he wasn't there. How did Elijah know he wasn't there? Wasn't he paying attention He was forced to a place where he needed to listen, where he needed to hear. That was how he knew. When the earthquake came, he probably paid attention. Oh, okay, God is not here. And then the wind came, he must have listened. Oh, wait, God is not here. And then a mighty fire roared. How did he know God was not there? Because he paid attention. Three times, wonderful things had happened. But he had gotten to a place where he was listening, which was why when the still voice came, he not only listened, he heard. And God asked him again, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he said again, this is what is going on. And God told him, I have 7,000 people who have not placed their knees in front of Baal. But by the time Elijah was running, he probably wasn't ready to listen. All he knew was, this crazy lady is out to get me. I'm out of here. But God left him in a place. It's, it's God can't use you to call that fire from heaven. And you're looking... If I wait for me, I'll be looking around in the cave wondering, ah, she's about waiting happened. happen. What happened? But God left him in a place, in a low place, in a place of frustration, in a place of grief. Because he needed to get back to a place where he was listening, where he could pay attention and listen to God. And sometimes that is the reason why we're in a place of mournfulness. God is trying to tell us something and he needs us either. So, you know, sometimes when we're in, when we're in serious, serious issue, that is the time we pray the most. That is the time we fast the most. That is the time when we seek God's face. That is good because we get to hear from God on another level. Although we need to learn when comfort comes, not to forget that. It doesn't always have to be in a place of sorrow. We need to get back to a place sometimes where, you know, what God is trying to teach us something. So sometimes in a place of sorrow, in a place of pain, in a place of frustration, the question shouldn't always be, when will this end? If you haven't figured out what you're supposed to learn, If you haven't gleaned anything from that situation, the question is, God, what am I supposed to learn from this? I know comfort is going to come, but I don't want comfort to come and I won't learn anything. Because if when comfort comes and the solution arises, if you have learned nothing, you're going to get back to that place. And when you've left a place of sorrow, somehow or it's like breaking a bad habit. If you break a habit... And you backslide. You find that it's much more difficult to get out of it the second time around. So when we're in a, if we're in a place of grieving and we're in a place of sorrow and in a place of mournfulness and of frustration, we, it is very important that we know what am I supposed to get out of this? What is the lesson that I'm supposed to learn from this? Am I, am I not listening well? Am I not hearing well? Other than when with this end? We need to figure that out. So at the end of Elijah's journey, God brings him out of that cave and continues to use him mightily. He leads him to Elisha. He leads him to anoint the the next kings of Judah and of Israel. And so comfort was was, um, provided for Elijah and God continued to use him mightily. And then sometimes... You know what? When it comes to doing God's will, being in a place of mournfulness, is just a purely human response. Because it is not always easy or comfortable to go along with God's will. Example, Jesus, when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, this is uh, uh, Luke twenty-two forty-four. He knew from the beginning of time that that day would come. But on that day, you know what? His human part, he, he mourned so hard, he sweated blood. Luke twenty two forty oh. four. 44. He was about to endure heart-wrenching torture. I mean, I can't even, I, you know, sometimes I, I I either hear somebody talk about it, all I read it how he was whipped and beaten and made to drag the instrument of his own death and the crown of thorns and the mockery and the laughter and how frustrating must have been because in his head he knows I'm the son of God I created all you people that are mocking at me but he could not oh, do it eighteen because it was needed for our salvation. It brings me to it brings me to tears. It brings me to tears sometimes when, when I read it, and I cannot imagine. Sometimes I'm like, my God, how did he withstand that? Because my, when I was seven or eight, I think um, we were in Nigeria, and I, my mother sent me downstairs to play for like 30 minutes. I remember, remember all these years later, I still remember it was a Friday, She sent me downstairs at 4 p.m. She told me, come back in by 4.30. I don't care if it's a Friday. You're going to do your homework this evening. And somehow I ignored her. I came up at either 4.45 or 5 or 5.30. And she used my father's alligator skin belt and whipped Mm -hmm. the daylight out of me that day. (laughs) And today, today, I still remember it as if it happened yesterday. I still preach that particular incident. To teenagers at church, it's it's still fresh in my memory. And the pain from that day, I'm telling you today, you don't see me outside my house at six o'clock unless I'm at church or I'm at work. I still remember, I mean, that was a life-changing event. And she barely remembers it, which annoys me sometimes. And are you kidding? But that is that is that was just a belt, and she probably didn't hit me more than five or six times. But I'm thinking, Jesus, who, and I didn't see it coming, but Jesus must have known from the beginning of time, I am going to go through torture, I'm going to go through hell. And at that moment, he, he was crying, God, if you can take this, I want this cup taken from me. But at the end of it, all, he remembered, but let your will be done. So sometimes, a a, a Uh, frustration or sorrow you know what it's it's a human response when god has asked you to do something that is difficult sometimes we don't need to pretend that all is perfect and well with us it is a purely human response sometimes to the will of god as long as we always remember at the end of it all, my god let your will be done you know what sometimes god asks us to do something though the human of us the base nature of us is fighting so hard and we need to get to a place where we pray and tell God, I don't want to do this, but Holy Spirit, I need strength to do your will. It doesn't mean you're not in a place of sorrow. It doesn't mean you're not in a place of, it's just a purely human response to something that is difficult to do. What sets us apart is because we know that at the end of it, God will not only give us the strength to carry it out, there's a reward at the end of it. Because Jesus, he went through it. He went through, the, after crying and after praying so hard that he was sweating drops of blood, he went through with what God had tasked him, what the Father had tasked him to do. And his reward, God gave him a name that is above all other names. At the mention of his name, principalities and powers, any power falls on their feet. And God has seated him in a place of honor. That was his reward. He got comfort at the end of it. But at that point when he mourned and when he sorrowed, it was purely a human response to something that was uncomfortable and difficult to do. And sometimes that is where we are. God has asked us to do something and we are frustrated and it is difficult and it is uncomfortable. And that is all good and well. But let us always remember that at the end of his day, we want nothing but his will to be done. So when we mourn in repentance, I, I talked about godly grief and godly sorrow. God comforts us with salvation, with eternal life. Uh, um, we, okay, I've talked about Elijah and at the end of it, all, oh, Jesus, God, God comfort. So if you can see from the examples I've given, regardless of how mourning and sorrow comes about, whether it's because we are deviating from God's plan, because of our own actions or willfulness, whether it's because of what someone has done against us, whether it's a response to something God has done, whether there is a lesson God wants us to learn, regardless of how we get to a place where we are mourning and where we are sorrowing, thank God for his mercy. Comfort is always provided. And I mentioned at the beginning, there is always a purpose for comfort, but not just comforted just because. Even in our comfort, there is a purpose. We are made to bring comfort. We are comforted so that we can comfort others. We are blessed so that we can bless others. By his very nature, our task from God is kind of a paid forward something um John 13:34 and John 15:12 God tells us love others as I have loved you. It's like paying it forward. You have received love from God, you need to love someone else the way um the way God has loved us. When God has blessed us, we need to bless someone else. And when God comforts us, we need to comfort those who are in trouble. As 2 Corinthians chapter one um, open that second corinthians chapter one verses three to four blessed be god even the father of our lord jesus christ the father of mercies and the god of all comfort who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God, God comforts us in our tribulation, in our times of trials, in our times of sorrow, in our times of mourning. So that with the same kind of comfort he has provided us, we can comfort others. Psalm 126, 5-6 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy the one that goes out with weeping is going to come back with rejoicing it is our lot in christ so no matter what kind of a uh, 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 state we are in no matter the kind of pain we are going through no matter the kind of sorrowful situation we are experiencing no matter the kind of uh mourning we are in the bible tells us there is always going to be a time for that there are many different reasons why we always get there. But we should always, always remember two things. That those who mourn, they shall always be comforted. There is always going to be comfort at the end of that road. We might not know the when, the where, the how, the the uh, details of it all. But God knows and will always pray for his strength. And when we are comforted, we need to comfort others too. In the same way God has blessed us, we need to bless others too. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So, I, 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 based on what we've talked about this evening, I want us to. That's a few prayer, a few uh, prayer points I have, but I want us to start by thanking God, for being so merciful that He always provides comfort. At the end of the road, no matter what it is we are going through, He has. I mean, it is our assurance in Him that if we go out in weeping, we'll come back in rejoicing. If we sow in tears, we will reap with laughter. If no matter the situation we are in, there is always going to be a resolution and comfort and laughter and joy at the end of it. And we need to thank God for that. So let us.